Please remain standing for a moment while we look at our scripture this morning. I was going to read the passage, but I decided not to because it's a very lengthy passage. But I want to give you the synopsis of the passage. It's found in two Bible verses. And I, I, I wrestled this week, where am I go with this? Where, am I, where was I going to go with this sermon? You know, is this the answer to all the violence in the world today? Is seeing Christians live like what we're going to look at this morning? But I thought of a better one. I thought of a better angle I wanted to take this message in. The message is this. This changes everything. Jesus changes everything. We're going to see the before and after. But let's look at what God's word says. Jesus' words. He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's a huge statement that Jesus makes in his word that he calls us to, he invites us to. And then listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Actually, the Holy Spirit says through Paul, to be correct. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And the phrase that grabbed my attention this week in preparing for this message is in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, where he says, he is a new creature and the old things have passed away. There's this old, and there's this new. And that's what we're looking at this morning. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Father, for the truth that we're fixing to see in your word. Lord, let it transform us. Let it encourage us. Let, us, let it spur us on to holy living. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and Paul will bring you a Bible. And if you don't have one, that's yours to keep. All right. We're, we're looking at, we're finishing up Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. So turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We're looking at verses 17 through 32. And I kept changing the title of my message all week. I got up this morning and had one of those aha moments. Says, ah! I said, oh, I'm going to go change it again. So my, 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 the, mess, the title of my message when I woke up this morning was, and I went and changed it in my outline, is, is out with the old and in with the new. The reason I titled it that is because there's a reason we say you can have new life in Christ. There's a reason behind that statement. It's because when you become a Christian, Everything changes. It's a new life. That means the way you're living now was not the way that you were living in the, the past. So we're looking at the change that takes place. The old versus the new. And this new change can take place, here it is, guys, when you surrender to Jesus. When you say, uncle, when you say, Lord, I give it to you. I surrender to you. Take control of my life. There, there's a surrender. Yes, I understand God's sovereignty. I totally get it. I totally believe it. <clears throat> and I hold to it firmly. But at the same time, I see within the human heart a need to bow and say, I surrender, Lord. Because he's not going to impose his will on you unless you surrender to him. <clears throat> so let's look at, he spends a, just three verses on the before. So let's look at the, the, the before Christ. Ephesians chapter 4. Let's read verses 17 through 19. 
The Apostle Paul says to the church at Ephesus, he says this, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. In the futi- walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they have become callous. They have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. As I'm reading this, this the thing that stands out to me the most is this is a, a, a life wrecked by sin. This is, the, this is what the world does with a person. They chew them up and they spit them out, and this is what we have here. And Paul's going to break this down into three areas. Paul's going to do a masterful job in this text of dissecting falling man into the mind, the heart, and the way we live. So let's look at verse 17. Verse 17, he says this. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord. Paul's basically saying, hey, me and Jesus are not different. We're on the same page in this message of the gospel, in this message of the New Testament. That you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk. So the question becomes, how did the Gentiles walk? What was the church, the church at Ephesus, what were they surrounded by? Well, I went back to one of my trusted resources, John MacArthur, and this is what he says concerning the background of what was going on in the city of Ephesus. Here it goes. This is what he says. Ephesus was one of the leading commercial and cultural cities of the Roman Empire. It boasted of the great pagan temple Artemis, Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Because of this temple and what happened in this temple, historians rank it as one of the most lascivious cities of Asia Minor, filled with debauchery and sexual immorality. And it all centered around this temple of Artemis. The temple of Artemis was at the center of the wickedness of the city. The rituals and practices included man's most perverted sins. Male and female roles were interchanged. Homosexuality was practiced. And every other sexual perversion common to man took place in this temple and in the courtyards around this temple. Artemis was a sex goddess represented by a female idol that looked something like a cross between a cow and a wolf. It was repulsive. I've seen pictures of it. She was served by thousands of temple prostitutes, enics, singers, dancers, priests, and priestesses. This is what the, the believers at Ephesus were surrounded by. This is what they were a part of. This was what was tempting them. They were just like us. They were believers in a local church, born again. They were surrounded by an ungodly world. And no doubt, in that ungodly culture, they were tempted. They were tempted, just like you and I are tempted, to indulge in the flesh and to go back to the old way of life. But Paul says in verse 17, Yo, guys, don't walk no longer as the Gentiles walk. And now the apostle Paul is going to masterfully, beautifully dissect fallen man. We call it uh, the depravity of man. We talk about man as a fallen, wretched sinner that talks about in Romans chapter 1. And it talks about in the very beginning. But let's look at what Paul says in verse 17. Halfway through verse 17, he says this, and they walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding. Part one of fallen man is his mind. 
It says there in, in the text, it says they walk in the futility of their mind. Futile, that word means vain. It means pointless. Basically, in their mind, fallen man does not see spiritual things. It does not see the glory of Christ. I remember that very clearly before I came to Christ. What is up with that Jesus thing and going to church? It never connected. It never connected in my mind. I was like, well, those people, they got their religion. You know, they're happy. They're doing whatever. But I never saw or understood with my mind the glory of Christ. It wasn't until somebody presented me with the gospel that I was a sinner, that I was fallen, and that I needed a Savior, that without the righteousness that comes from trusting in Christ, that I would perish on judgment day. It wasn't until I understood the bad news of my fallen nature that the glorious gospel made good news in my mind, and then it went to my heart. But that's the first part. The first part of a fallen man is his mind. Our minds are gone, are futile, apart from Christ. There's no thought of eternity. There's no thought of spiritual things. So one is mine. He continues in verse 18. Uh, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Because of the hardness of their heart, they have become callous. Now, when a person's mind is taken over, it works its way down. It goes 18 inches down in that fallen part of man. It goes to his heart. And what does the text say? It says, um, the hardness of their heart. The heart becomes hardened when, when we're not in a right relationship with God. When, we're, when, we're not, when a person is not born again, their heart is hard. That means they will not change. They will not listen. They are bent. They're bent on what they think is right and in, in the direction they're going. And there's this hardness in their heart. That's why the prophet Jeremiah said in, in Jeremiah 17, 9, he says, the heart is deceitful. Above all things, and it's desperately wicked. Who can know it? Paul is just, the scriptures, not Paul, the Holy Spirit inspiring this through Paul is just so masterful in breaking this down. But man in his fallen state, it starts with his mind. His mind is futile. The heart is darkened. The heart is hardened. But then it goes even further. Look at verse uh, 19. It says, and they have become callous. Here it is. It, it goes from mind, heart, to your life. Here it is. Having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. After the, heart, after the mind is conquered, the heart is conquered, and then what takes place next? The life is conquered. They live um, to please their flesh in the case of the Ephesians here, he says they've given themselves over to sensuality and impurity. That speaks of a sexual sin. That word, that, that word sensuality, is more than just sexual sin. It's, it's unbridled lust. It's basically saying, you know, this is who I am. This is what I'm going to do, and I'm proud of it, and ain't nobody going to stop me. In my sin, the sensuality, it's, it's, it's unbridled lust of immorality. There's no thought, there's no self-control. I'm going to do what I want to with my body. And then he says there, uh, giving themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity uh, with greediness. When he adds this word greediness to this text, talking about sensuality and purity, talking about sexual immorality, he's saying that the person is self-centered. 
He's saying that the person is self-centered. Basically, their thought pattern is, it's my way and there's no other way. And is that not what we see in our culture today? It's just people's minds and their hearts are hardened. And they're separated from the life of God because they haven't put their trust in Jesus Christ. And that's what they need more than anything. This, my friend, what I just showed you in verses 17 through 19, this is the old man. This is, this is you before Christ. This is, what you, this is what you and this is what I look like. Man, I read it and I was like, all these snapshots of my past came to my mind. This described Pastor David before he came to Christ. My mind was futile. I had no thoughts of eternity, no thoughts of God. My heart was hardened. I'm going to live like I want to, and ain't nobody going to tell me how to do it. It wasn't until somebody presented the gospel to me that my heart melted, and it became soft, and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and he changed everything. This is a life wrecked by sin. And there's only one thing, there's only one thing that will penetrate this darkness, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it all starts, you know, we've we got to be very careful with this. It doesn't start with, with correcting a person's behavior, okay? Let me repeat that. It does not start with correcting a person's behavior. It starts with helping their heart and changing their heart. When a person becomes born again and the Holy Spirit's in them, he softens their heart, he opens their mind, gives them spiritual things, and they begin to see life change on the outside. That's what man needs more than anything. So Paul says to the church of Ephesus, that's how those people around the temple of Artemis live, but you Christians don't live that way. And it still stands true today. Look at verse 20. He says, here it is. He says, but you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus. Now, i got to say this. When I first came to Christ, there were parts of my life that God gave me instant liberty and set me free from. But I brought some garbage into Christianity. Okay? There were some things I was held to, that I was held, I was, I was held shackled to. And there were things that um, I had to grow. So when I look at this verse 20, it says, but you did not learn Christ this way. You know, I see that when a person becomes a Christian, doesn't mean they have, they have it all together automatically, instantaneously. There, here it is, guys. There's a season of growing. There's a season of growing. So seasoned Christians, show grace. Show grace. Give the new believers time to grow. Give them time to understand. Give the Holy Spirit time to work on their hearts so they can grow in grace. So they can grow in grace. Man, I had all kind of stuff. I'm sure most of you did too. But there's a season of learning. There's a season of growing. There's actually a name for it in the Bible. It's called sanctification. Sanctification. You know, a person, when they come to Christ, they're justified instantly. They're made in a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But then the believer begins the process we call a big theological word called sanctification. And that word sanctification means setting apart. It's where the Holy Spirit begins to work in your heart. And he says, you know what? I'm going to remove this. And then the next thing you know, you're living life and you're going along and all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's a sin. I shouldn't be doing that. I repent, Lord. And all of a sudden he takes it out. 
We begin to grow. There's a season of growing. But ultimately now, you come to Christ, you begin this process of sanctification. There, comes a, there should come a point in your life, there should come a point in your life where you break from the past. There should come a point where you break from the past. Jesus is not an add-on, okay? Jesus is not an add-on to the old life. He is a new life. That's why we call it new life in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. And we grow in that truth. We grow with that. So there's a season of learning, but there comes a point where you got to break with the past, where you just got to say, I'm going to slay this dragon. I'm tired of that lust. I'm tired of that immorality. I'm tired of whatever your struggle is, and I am going to put it to death. I am going to repent and say, I'm, I'm done with this. And I'm putting my trust in you, Christ, and I'm going to fight it with all my, with everything that's in me. I'm going to fight against this lust, this work of the flesh. Look at verse 22. He says, uh, he's kind of continuing the thought process here, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. Of, of deceit excuse me. What's he talking about here? This is called repentance. This is called repentance. This is called you leave it behind. You leave it behind. You, you turn from sin. You, you let it go. You repent. You leave it in the past. You cut ties with it. You, you can't live in the old. You can't live, you can't live in your B.C. days when you come to Christ, okay? There, there's a season of growing. There's a season of maturity. There's a season of, of leaving it and growing into this new and devoted relationship with Christ. First Peter 1.16 says, Be holy. Be holy, for I am holy. And the author of Hebrews in chapter 12, verse 14, he even adds to this thought process when he says, Be holy. This is like, I read this like, wow. He says, Hebrews 12.14, he says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness. And holiness. And he says, Without which you will not see the Lord. There is a call to leave the past, to hate sin, to fight against it, to slay it. Now listen, if you're in the struggle, if you're in the throes of war, you have God's grace, okay? And But that grace is not for you to sit put, it's for you to fight the battle. It's for you to fight through and win the battle. He will take you, he will hold you. If you fall, you get back up. You continue in the fight. He who called you will be faithful. He will call you. He will take you through. And he will say, there were, there were, man, I'm not going to throw my laundry out there. But, man, there were things that I wrestled with for a very long time. Okay? So be encouraged. Stay the course. Fight the fight. Win the battle. You can do it. With the Holy Spirit dwelling in you and staying in God's word, you can win the battle. You can fight the good fight, and you can make it through. But we're called to be holy. We're called to be separate from the old life. We don't, we don't live in B.C. That, a lot of times we hear that phrase, oh, yeah, that, that happened back in my B.C. days. We're saying that because that happened back then, but not now. Let's look at verses 23 through 32. Verses 23 through 32 are the reverse of verses 17 through 19. Uh, Verses 17 through 19 was man's fallen state in his mind, his heart, and the way he lives. Now, 
the Apostle Paul is going to reverse it, and he's going to talk about the new man. And he's actually going to go in the same order. He's going to talk about the new man's mind, the new man's heart, and the new man's new life. Let's take a look at it. Verse 23, the new man. He says, And that you be renewed, here it is, in the spirit of your mind. How do we renew our minds as Christians? You, you come to Christ, you get a renewed mind, but you still live in this world. You, you, if you're not careful and, and, and not protective of your mind, the world will try to creep its way back into your mind. How do we renew our minds? How do we keep our minds in the right place? Because we all know that the battlefield is the mind. How do we do it? We fill it with God's word. We fill it with the Bible. This, this book... Um, we get into it on Sunday mornings, but you should be getting into it every day. I'm not going to say when. Some of you guys is early morning. Some of you guys is in the middle of the day. Some guys is in the evening. But carve some part of your day, and whether you read a chapter or you read three verses, I'm not putting no parameters, but just spend some time in God's Word. In any book of the Bible you choose, because it's all inspired by God. And it all helps us. And it's all, it's all profitable. You know, um, we homeschooled our kids, um, and then Daniel went off to grade collegiate in the ninth grade. But there's one Bible verse that Irene preached to Emily and Daniel. I could probably bring Daniel up here right now, and he'd probably, he could probably quote it to you better than I can. But the one verse that Irene preached to Emily and Daniel throughout their whole entire homeschool was um, Philippians 4.8. Philippians 4.8. She, every, time, every time I'd be home from work or hear them study, this was the verse that she drove home. But Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there be any excellence, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Dwell on these things. We've got to be careful, guys, what we put in our minds. Got to be very careful, man. The, the, the battle starts in the mind. The seeds are sown in the mind. It starts there. You got everything. You're good. You're walking. You're serving the Lord. All is well in life. And then all of a sudden you entertain something on the internet, in a magazine. This goes for men and women. This goes for all people. You, you, you get seeds sown into your mind. And what it does is it festers and it builds and if it's not dealt with, if your mind is not renewed, it will work its way 18 inches down into your heart. And then if you continue to let it go, it'll go from the mind to the heart to the way we live. So we've got to renew our minds. That's the first line of defense as a Christian. That's the first line of defense in your, in your serving the Lord is, is protecting your mind. That's protecting your mind. Let's continue. He, now he's going to look at the heart. He says in verse 24, And put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and the holiness of the truth. How, how do we put on the new self? Even as a Christian, you know, you put on Christ, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're living the Christian life. What do you do now when he says, when he says put on the new self? I believe he's, what he's talking about here is, just yielding your life to the Holy Spirit. And that's simply getting up in the morning and saying, Lord, I give you control of today. I, like we talked about at the very beginning, surrender. 
I give you control today. I yield today. I, I, I surrender to you today. And I ask, Lord, that you fill my heart with your word, with, with um, verse 24, that you fill our hearts with, with righteousness, with holiness, um, being created in righteousness and holiness of truth. These are the characteristics of our heart in Christ. And we need to protect those things. That's our second line of defense. After we protect our minds, we protect our hearts. It, some of us adults, I, I don't know what, I'm, I'm 47 years old, but I have battle scars from my days before Christ. I have scars from the past that are permanently ingrained in my mind and my heart of mistakes and really bad things I did before I became to Christ. If I'd only come to Christ earlier and protected my mind and protected my heart, I would not carry those scars I carry today. So young people, you know, take hold of these words. Protect your mind, protect your heart, protect your life so you don't have battle scars like some of us. Now Paul's going to describe this new man. This is, this is a beautiful, as, we're, as we finish up chapter 4 and we roll into uh, Ephesians chapter 5, these are just beautiful nuggets. These are just beautiful nuggets of truth. These are beautiful portraits of grace. When I say a portrait of grace, a, a life that's been changed by God. These are the things that um, God gives us when we become a new man, and these are the things that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. You know, we talk about, we, we like to talk about, uh, we like to tell people anyway, you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We, we, we like that phraseology. Uh, you need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And some people think, well, that's just a, a belief in your heart and a belief in your head and, and you love him and you trust him. And that is all well and good. And those are true. But to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, I believe, is, is what's pictured in verses 25 through, through 32. Because now we, we talked about the reverse, the, the, the Christian mind is renewed, the heart is protected with righteousness and faith and truth, and now Paul, instead of living in lasciviousness and, and immorality, here's what the new man looks like. Verse 25, the first one he says here is, therefore laying aside falsehood, speak the truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. The first characteristic of this new man is he tells the truth. How, how, how simple is that? How just straightforward and just clearly, you're, you're, we're, we're honest people. We, we, we tell the truth. We don't um, speak falsehoods. You know, and I've found in my life, in, in my 25 years experience as serving the Lord, what I've found is the best way to protect yourself in this area is don't do something in the first place that will make you have to lie. <laughs> okay, that's just, just a nugget there from Pastor David. Don't put yourself in a situation where you have to lie. But always tell the truth. Always tell the truth. Always be honest. Even if you're wrong. Even if it's going to incriminate you. Speak the truth. Just be honest. Be real. Be transparent. So let's speak the truth. That's, this, that's the, the outward manifestation, the life lived of a believer. Look at the next one, verse 26. He says, be angry 
and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your angry. Now, it's interesting, he says, in other words, he says, it's okay to get upset. You know, it's, it's not a sin to get, now, it's not a, it's, it's not a sin to, to get anger. It's a sin to be filled with rage and anger and malice, which we'll talk about when we get to verse 31. But here in verse 26, he says, okay, listen, there's going to be seasons in your life where you get upset and you get angry. You get angry with your workers, your boss, or your children, or, or people in your life. You're going to be angry. But he says, do not sin. And he says there, what does this mean, do not sin? I believe it's defined in the preceding words of verse 26. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. In other words, bring resolution. Deal with it. You know what? If, 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 you, if, you, if you're angry with somebody, um, or if you're mad with somebody, go to that person. Talk to them. Work it out. Man, we're in this together. You know what? If, if me and Blake got, a, got, got, a, got an issue, hey, I'll see you at Dunkin' Donuts. And we'll eat some blueberry donuts, we'll drink some coffee, and we'll talk about it. We'll work things out. But don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, work it out. Work it out. We need to be that. We need to be that as believers. Working things out is part of our witness. Verse 27, he says, And do not give the devil an opportunity. Now, this is a very, very important verse. Once a believer comes to Christ and you walk through those walk through the doors of repentance and you've laid aside the old life and the old flesh and the old sin and you finally came to a place of victory and you're shouting hallelujah, praise the Lord, all glory to God, I've got the victory. For, for heaven's sake, don't go back and open the door. Don't go back and open the door. Don't open the door and peek back. Don't do that. Don't give the devil an opportunity to bring the past back. Don't do that. He seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. Don't do that. Don't open them. The, that, the world ain't got nothing for you no more, okay? That old way of life, that old way of thinking, it, it's got nothing good for you. Keep the door shut. Lock it. Put some dead bolts on it. Uh, build a brick wall so you can't go through. Cement it, concrete it, glue it, and seal it. And man, say, man, I'm done with that old life. There's going to be times in your life where you're going to face temptation. You know, no Christian is beyond temptation. But you're going to remember what God has done in your life. And you're going to be like, I'm not going back. I'm not going back. I want to serve you, Christ. And I'm not giving Satan an opportunity. He's given me a wonderful life. I love my wife. I love my children. I love my life. I love you guys. I love our church. I love the Lord. And ain't nothing taking me back to where I was. Uh-uh. Verse 28, he says, uh, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with those in need. Hey, no more stealing. What commandment is, is uh, you shall not steal? That would be the eighth commandment. The eighth commandment, you shall not steal. Don't be breaking the eighth commandment. Don't be stealing. Don't be taking what's not yours. <laughs> we taught, we've been taught that since from, from our early days, but we, we need to be honest people. We don't, we should not be stealing. We should not be taking from other people. We, not should be, we should not be taking things from our work. We should not be taking things from other people. But we need to be honest and show integrity in this area of our life. He says, he who steals must steal no longer. Go to work. Perform with his own hands what is good. 
he'll have something to share with those in need. Honest gain is what he's talking about there. Verse 29, uh, this new man, not like those people over there at the temple of Artemis, but you believers here in Ephesus that have been saved, Paul says, I say to you guys, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Boy, this is a tough one here. I don't know about you, man, but man, when I, before I came to Christ, man, I just let it rip. I just let it rip. It just, boom, and I, I said bad things. I said mean things. I said not good things. And the tongue is one of the most challenging areas of a Christian's life to bring into control. It's hard. Even as a Christian for all these years, I still find seasons of my life where I'm like, I wish I wouldn't have said what I said. You know, I wish those, those, those words I said to my family or, or to a loved one, to a friend, I wish I could just rewind it and bring it back. But unfortunately, that's not the case. The words we say, they sow seeds in people's hearts and minds. And he's saying here, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. That word unwholesome talks about a, a word that tears down. We don't want to tear people down. We don't want to tear people down. We want to build people up. You know, I, I, my hope and my prayer is that you come to church to be built up with the words from the words of Scripture. That, that you be built up. But only such is good for edification. There it is. Building people up according to the need of the moment. That it will give grace to those who hear. Ultimately, in, in our speech and our dealing with people, what do we want to bring? We want to bring grace. We want to bring grace. You know, as, as I saw, um, you know, the sermon this morning, we saw all the evil things that's happened in, in this world. And it's very sad. And it's very tragic. You know, it broke my heart to see what happened in that Pittsburgh synagogue last Sunday. And as I was studying the text this week, you know, this is man at his lowest this is man at his lowest, and it's very tragic, and we pray for those who've been affected. But what, here's, my, here's the thing that kept coming to me. What causes this type of evil in the world? It's man in his fallen state. It's man in his sinful, fallen nature, where the mind is gone, the heart is gone, and then it manifests itself in their evil actions. What this world needs more than anything is Jesus. Because when you have Jesus, it changes your mind, it changes your heart, and then it manifests itself in the way you live. Let's preach the gospel. Because it brings truth and grace to hearers. Verse 30. So you're, you're living the Christian life all is well, things are going well. And, and here, he's, he gives us a warning. He says in verse 30, he says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. How do we, how do we grieve the Holy Spirit? How do we, how do we you know, there's a, you, you live in a physical body, but you have this thing inside of you the Bible calls your heart, your soul, your spirit. Well, inside of your spirit, man, the Holy Spirit dwells. 
God dwells in your heart. We like to say that phrase, Jesus is in my heart. God is in our hearts. The Holy Spirit is in our hearts. But he can be grieved. He can be grieved when I'm looking at Ephesians chapter 4. He's, he's grieved when we neglect holiness. When we neglect holiness. When we neglect obedience to the word. When we, when we ignore our Bible. When we pick up that romance novel or we pick up that sports magazine instead of picking up our Bible. I believe, I believe the Holy Spirit is greed. The Holy Spirit inside of you says, give me the word of God. Let me feast on scripture. Let, let's, let's, let's spend time in the word. So, so he's greed when we neglect holiness, we ignore Bible. But how about this one? When we don't listen to his voice. I believe that the Holy Spirit speaks to us in that still, small voice. When we're going about in life, he gives us a revelation. He brings something to our hearts, and we ignore that. Oh, that was just my head, or that was just whatever. But we have to listen to his voice, and we have to listen to what he's leading us. And when we, when we reject that, it can be that voice that says, says, you need to tell the truth. You need to go apologize to that person. The, the Lord could be telling you, hey, you need to go get this right. And when we ignore that voice, we grieve what the Lord is wanting to do in our lives. We, we, we grieve. We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. That's, that's God working in us. That's his Spirit working in us. Let's look at verse 31. Verse 31 is, is, really, is really jam-packed with a lot of information. I'll briefly talk about each one. But verse 31, he says, uh, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Now, what is bitterness? Bitterness is a resentful spirit that refuses reconciliation. It's a spirit, it's, it's, a, it's a resentful spirit in someone that says, I don't want peace. You've done me wrong, or I've done you wrong, and I have no desire to make it up. That's what he's talking about here, bitterness. We can't be like that, church. We can't be like that. we got to always be ready to reconcile with people, whether it's a family member, a loved one, a friend in church, somebody at school, somebody at work. We need to have this spirit within us that says, you know what, I want to reconcile. I want to make things right. Doesn't mean it's not hard. Doesn't mean it's not painful. Doesn't mean it won't take a season for you to work through it. But ultimately, we need to have a spirit within us that says we'll reconcile, that we want to reconcile with people. It's, it's just magnifying Christ when you do it too. When, you, when, you, when you're willing to reconcile with someone, it's just magnifying the Lord. He says, uh, he continues in verse 31, he says, in wrath and anger, this is, um, this is unbridled temper. This is that rage. That's a sin. To, to, to just rush out in rage and fire and meanness and hatred. That is a sin. And that is of the flesh. And that has no place in our life. We all That's part of the BC. And that might be one of the areas that once you come to Christ, those areas of growing, those areas that you got to grow through. I, I know a lot of us have struggled with that. But that's an area that we got to grow. we got to grow in. And we got to leave the wrath and the anger behind. The next one there, 
I'm reading from the NASB. Some of your versions have different words, but they have the same meaning. In verse 31, he says, and clamor, clamor, that's just, that's, uh, clamor is, um, is uncontrolled emotions. It's just, you're, you're pinging off the walls, you're bouncing off the walls, you're, you're here, you're there, you're, you're just, your emotions are, are just going crazy. And we need to settle our spirit down. We need to calm down. We need to take a deep breath and say, Lord, I need your wisdom dealing with this situation and, and, not, and not clamor, but say, Lord, help me in this time of need, in this moment, and let, give me wisdom on how to deal with this and don't bounce off the walls. Maybe grab a brother and say, hey, man, I need to talk to you. I've done it with some of you guys in here. Hey, man, I need somebody to talk to now. I'll see you at Dunkin' Donuts. Bye. But, but have someone talk to, seek the Lord. We don't want to, we don't want to clamor. And then he says, and slander. That's, we all know that one. Slander's gossip. Don't talk about people. Don't talk about people. If you've got nothing good to say about them, don't say nothing at all. You know, uh, s- slander, it hurts people. It tears people down. Let's not do that. And if you have, go ask for forgiveness and apologize. And put away from you, well, this one's big here. Uh, the NASB says, put away from you along with all malice. What some other translations say? The last word in verse 31. Huh? Evil speaking. I looked up the word malice the NASB uses, and that yours says evil speaking. But the, the definition of the word there, uh, malice, is the desire to injure someone. Whoa. We see a lot of that today in our world. <laughs> Unfortunately, people are wanting to inflict injury hurt someone. Are you kidding me? Really? I'm just being honest. I, 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 maybe back in my BC days, but I would have no reason to want to injure someone. I, but this is, the word malice is a desire to injure people. And that's an act of the flesh. I'm going to kill them. I'm going to take them out. You wait till I get a hold of you. No, man, no. No, 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 no. Not as a Christian. That's the old life. That was us before Christ. Not now. We don't walk in malice. And look at, let's close with verse 32. And I, and I love, I love the, the setup and the arrangement of Scripture. I believe the Apostle Paul, he saves the best for last. He saves the best for last. And here is the best. Verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also forgive you. I believe today one of the greatest attributes of a believer in the world. What, is it, what does a Christian bring to the table that, that's manifested, that's real, that can be applied in your work, can be applied in your home, can be applied in your neighborhood? And it's this. He brings forgiveness. He brings we, guys, as believers in Christ, we demonstrate to the world what God's forgiveness looks like. And that's what you and I need to take into the world, where people offend us, they do something wrong, they brace themselves. Oh, no, here comes the wrath of Jim High. And you say, you know what? I forgive you. 
I forgive you. What motivates us to forgive? Two things. One of them is in the verse, but the first one I want to talk about, the first thing that motivates us to forgive is, is it demonstrates the character of God. It, forgiveness, forgiveness demonstrates the character of God. In other, in other words, God delights in forgiving people. Do you know that? God delights in forgiving people of what they've done wrong. And what we do as Christians and people do is they think they've blown it so much, they're like, there's no way God will ever take me back. There's no way God can forgive me. I have blown it so many times in this area, there's no way God will, will forgive me. Wrong answer. The message of the entire Bible is this, reconciliation. God reconciling us, the world, to himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the message of forgiveness. What did Jesus say on the cross? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. God, on the cross, said those words, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As followers of Jesus, living out this new life, let our hearts be the same. And finally, in closing, it, uh, it, it, verse 32, he says, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you, it, 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 it displays us forgiving people in the world. It displays the forgiveness that we've experienced. When I think about everything that I've done and he's forgiven me, I'm like, oh, dude, I got no problem. You're forgiven, okay? You're forgiven because what I did to offend God was great. And God says, David, I forgive you based on the sacrifice of Jesus. I have no other response than to say, God, say, Troy, I forgive you, brother. It's all good. Fist pump, hug, we're all good. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the truth that we are new creatures in Christ, is the verse we read in the beginning. We are, um, you've made us a new man. Father, thank you for that truth. Father, for those who are in the throes, those who are in the battles, those who are going through sanctification and growing, Father, I pray that you give them victory in these areas of life. Father God, these areas of the flesh, help them to lay it aside, help them to repent, and help them to turn away from it, and help them to embrace the new life that you have for them. In Jesus' name I pray, Father. Amen.